Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Thank you for being here for uh, worship here at the Vista. We're glad to have you. Um, If you are new or you're just joining us for the first time, we're in the middle of a series this summer called Living the Dream. We are looking at uh, this Old Testament character named Joseph. We've been uh, exploring his life, the ups and downs, the ebbs, the flows, just how God is using this really uh, sort of crazy story. And so let me just briefly, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 45 today. Genesis 45, um, we're, we're at what I would consider kind of this uh, crescendo, if you will, of the story. It's, it's uh, here in chapter 45, Joseph is finally going to reveal who he is to his brothers, okay? But let me, let me sort of catch you up so we have a little, little bit of understanding on, on what's going on. Joseph was the favored son of his father Jacob, or Israel. Um, he was so favored, his, his father, you know, gave him this, this immaculate, this elaborate robe. He gave him just gifts and sort of blessings that he didn't give the other brothers. And this creates some problems in the family, right? And so ultimately, his older brothers, they hate Joseph. They despise Joseph. They want to kill him. But instead of killing him, what they decide is they're going to they're gonna sell him so they can make a profit. So they sell him into slavery, and Joseph ends up in Egypt, a whole other country, serving and working. And, and, and there's a lot of stuff that happens while he's in Egypt. He's falsely accused of a crime. He ends up in prison for a while, for years. Um, finally, uh, Pharaoh, the leader of all of Egypt, has this dream that he cannot um, understand. And so he gets Joseph out of prison to interpret his dream. Joseph has this unbelievable gift uh, of interpreting dreams. And so he interprets Pharaoh's dream for him. And essentially the dream was that there were going to be seven years of good crops and plenty. Everything was going to go really, really well. But then there was going to be seven years of extreme famine and drought. So Joseph had a plan. Store up everything for seven years so that we will be prepared and ready when the famine comes. And that's exactly what happens. Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph that he not only gets him out of prison, but he literally puts him in charge of like all of Egypt. Joseph... Uh, becomes the most powerful person in, in all of Egypt next to Pharaoh himself. And so sure enough, the, the, the seven years of plenty come and go, and then it's now the seven years of extreme famine and drought. Well, Joseph's brothers, who assumed that he is long gone, they're never going to see him again, that Joseph is for sure dead. They even tell their father that he has died, been attacked by a wild animal. They think Joseph is out of the picture forever. Well, because of the famine, guess where they have to go to get grain, to get provision? They have to go down to Egypt. When they get to Egypt, they encounter Joseph. Now, Joseph recognizes them. They don't uh, recognize Joseph. Joseph's talking through a translator. He's dressed out in full Egyptian garb. He's just not at all what they would expect. And we learned a few weeks ago, Joseph doesn't reveal himself right away, but instead, he sort of tests his brothers and What we saw was, you know, at first, they don't seem to have changed a whole lot. But then last week, we began to see a change, particularly in Joseph's brother, Judah. You know, Judah previously was quite the scoundrel, sinful, far from God. Um, He's selfish. And, And then we get to what we saw last week in chapter 44, where Joseph's brother, Judah, basically is completely different. He's changed. God has gotten a hold of his heart, and at the end of chapter 44, what we find is that Judah is the one that's willing to sacrifice himself or substitute himself on behalf of his younger brother, Benjamin. 
And so this is where we pick up then in Genesis 45. How is Joseph, what's, what's his response going to be to Judah's offer? Here's what we find. Verse 40, uh, chapter 45, verse 1. It says, then Joseph could not control himself before all of those who stood by him. And he cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. You think, (laughs) right? Like, Joseph is so moved. He is so moved by uh, Judah's willingness to sacrifice himself on behalf of their younger brother, Benjamin, that he just can't control his emotion anymore. He He can't keep up the ruse. He can't continue to hide from them. And so he sends everybody out from his presence. And he's just left there with his brothers. And again, I would remind you, Joseph has been communicating with them through an interpreter. He's not speaking in their native language. And so all of a sudden, everybody leaves and Joseph turns weeping. It says loudly where everyone outside the room can hear. And he says, I'm Joseph in his native, in his native language. Can you imagine? I mean, literally, we're basically told that the brothers are standing there, jaws to the ground, right? They just, they're completely shocked completely dismayed. They can't even respond because they're just like, uh, (laughs) like, what do you do with that information? In fact, there's probably a lot of questions going on. What does this mean? Like now, how is Joseph going to respond? What's he going to do to us? I would remind you, Joseph has the complete authority in Egypt. Joseph could have done anything he wanted to them. What is Joseph's response going to be now that he's revealed himself to his brothers? And they're all completely shocked. Here's what happens next in verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all of his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. And you shall dwell in the land of Goshen. And you shall be near me and you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come and that you and your household, that all of you uh, do not come to poverty. Verse 12, and now see, see your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it's my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all of my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. And then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck and he kissed all of his brothers and he wept upon them. And after this, his brothers talked with him. Man, what an amazing moment, right? What an amazing scene here in Genesis 45. After 20-something years, Joseph reveals who he is to his brothers who literally sold him into slavery and they think he's dead. And now Joseph, man, just 
through all the emotion, tells his brothers. And what we have here in, in chapter 45 is this beautiful picture of forgiveness being, being offered. Forgiveness and reconciliation occur. And it is this beautiful, in fact, I would say that other than Jesus on the cross, this may be the most beautiful picture of forgiveness and reconciliation that we have anywhere in the whole Bible. It's this beautiful story. The subject in what we're going to talk about today is forgiveness. And I know that forgiveness um, can be a really hard and really difficult thing to talk about because, you know, we've all, we've all been wounded and we've all been hurt in one way or another. In fact, I would say forgiveness is one of the most important things the church must learn to practice. Forgiveness and reconciliation is one of the things we must learn to walk in if we're going to be God's people. And the reason for that is simple, right? Like, we're all sinners. We can all agree with that, right? None of us are perfect. We all, we all sin. The Bible's very clear about that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You and I are sinners by nature and by choice. It's a part of the flesh with which we live. Until one day we're with Jesus, we are sinners. We're going to struggle with some sin in our lives. Because we are sinners, what that means is the people that we are around, the people that we do life with, we're going to sin against them. We're going to sin against them at some point. Now, sometimes it'll be on purpose, and sometimes, maybe many times, it'll be on accident, but make no mistake, we're going to sin against the people that are around us in life, and they are going to sin against you. It's, it's just the reality. And because that is the case, we have to learn to extend forgiveness and grace. There's going to be two roads. It's like a fork in the road, right? Because we're sinners, because we're going to sin and people are going to sin against us, we can either go one road and it's forgiveness, grace, reconciliation, hopefully, or the other road is simply anger and bitterness. Those are really the only two roads. It's forgiveness and grace, anger or bitterness, and the choice is ours. What we're going to do, what we're going to do with that. This is true in every relationship in your life. This has implications in your marriage, right? Because you are both sinners and you're going to at times sin against one another, maybe through things you say, maybe through particular actions. There's going to be times where you doing life with another human being are going to sin against one another. And again, you can choose forgiveness and grace, or you can choose anger and bitterness. Those are your options. This is true in the parent-child relationship, right? Sometimes your, your children are going to be frustrated and angered by you as a parent. All the kids are like, amen. No, I'm just, Right? Parents, same thing. Like sometimes your children are going to frustrate you. They're going to sin against you. And so again, the choice is forgiveness and grace or anger and bitterness. Those are the options. This is true in the relationships with your friends. This is true in the church. We are going to sin against one another. We're going to anger one another. We're not going to agree. And so the choice is very clear. Forgiveness and grace, anger and bitterness. Those are the options. And so forgiveness is this thing that we as Christians must learn to walk in. In fact, I'll say it this way. For the Christian, as you read through the Bible and particularly the New Testament, what you're going to find is this, that forgiveness is not a suggestion, right? Forgiveness is not a suggestion. Forgiveness is a command. It's not a suggestion. God doesn't go, well, you know, if you really feel like it, you could forgive that person. I mean, it's really up to you. No, it's, it's a command. In, it, for Jesus, the Apostle Paul, you name it, forgiveness is this, is this command. In fact, um, to, to withhold forgiveness really is, is just disobedience to what God says. 
um, I would remind you of the Lord's Prayer, the most popular prayer that Jesus ever prayed. Most of us maybe even have, have it memorized. In the middle of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus, this model prayer that we're to pray and we're to pattern our lives after, Jesus says, Father, forgive us our sins or our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. Remember that? In the Greek, the language literally reads, Father, forgive us in accordance with the way we forgive the people that wrong us. Make sense? Man, that's, that's kind of scary. What if you are forgiven by God in accordance with the way you are willing to forgive the people around you? Forgiveness for the Christian is not just a suggestion, it's a command. And so I love this part of Genesis, man, Genesis 45, it's this beautiful picture. Joseph just extends forgiveness and grace to his brothers who wronged him 20-something years earlier. They tried to end his life. They ruined his life. At least they thought they ruined his life. And Joseph responds with forgiveness and grace. Here's what I want to do. I want us to look, as we think about forgiveness, I want us to start out by looking at what Joseph doesn't do in his forgiveness, okay? Because I think there's some really big lessons in that for you and for me. When we think about extending grace and forgiveness to others, notice what Joseph doesn't do, okay? Number one, Joseph doesn't wait for an apology or for his brothers to ask for forgiveness before he forgives them. Did you see that? He doesn't wait for an apology. He doesn't wait for them to fall down and be like, we were so wrong, please forgive us. He doesn't wait for any of that. He just extends forgiveness. Like for some of us, we have this idea that we only have to forgive people if they, if they ask for it or if they've earned it or if they really are repentant or we have this idea that we, you know, we don't, we don't have to forgive everyone. We only have to forgive those that sort of, you know, apologize. I'll forgive them when they apologize. Well, I'll forgive them if they ask me for forgiveness. Well, that's not the model here in Genesis 45, nor is it the model of Jesus. I'll give you a few examples. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, there's a great story of Jesus uh, healing a guy who was a paralytic, right? Some of you may remember the story. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. It says, and behold, some people brought to him, that's Jesus, a paralytic. He's lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. The paralytic didn't, didn't ask for his sins to be forgiven. The guys that brought the paralytic didn't say, hey, Jesus, if you could forgive his sin first, that'd be awesome. No, they bring their friend who's a paralytic and they're like, we want him to be able to walk again. And Jesus forgives the man's sin. He meets his deeper spiritual problem. He didn't ask for it. Jesus just does it. Over in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus is talking here and Jesus says, whenever, you're stand, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. It doesn't say, you know, as you're, as you're praying or as you're worshiping or as you're doing your religious thing, think about who is really sorry for what they've done. Think about who's apologized to you. Think about who's really asking for forgiveness and then stop and go forgive them. No, it says if, if you can think about anyone that you are withholding forgiveness from, anyone, it says you need to forgive them. You need to forgive them. So the first thing Joseph doesn't do, Joseph doesn't wait for an apology, and he doesn't wait for them to ask for forgiveness. He just extends forgiveness to them. Number two, Joseph doesn't need to forget in order to forgive. Joseph doesn't need to forget what's happened to him in order to forgive. Some people will say, just forgive and forget. 
and those of you that have been wounded and hurt deeply, you can back me up on this. What happens when you just can't forget, right? Like, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen. Sometimes you just can't forget. Joseph doesn't forget what's happened to him. Look at verse, uh, verse 4 and then the beginning of verse 5. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said to them, I'm your brother, Joseph. Look at the next line, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Joseph doesn't forget what they did. He doesn't forget what they did. No, no. He remembers their sin. He remembers how they wronged him. He fully understands and realizes it. In fact, I would say this, like forgive and forget. If we could truly forget the things that have been done to us, I would say forgiveness is unnecessary, right? If we could forget it, truly forget it, then we don't need to offer forgiveness. I mean, we don't remember it anymore, right? No, forgetting is, is impossible. Listen, forgiveness is not, I don't remember what you did, so it doesn't matter anymore. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is, I know what you did, and I forgive you anyway. That's forgiveness. Joseph doesn't wait to forget. He doesn't need to forget what's happened to him. He fully realizes, he fully understands what they did, and yet he extends forgiveness anyway, right? The third thing I notice about Joseph's forgiveness is Joseph doesn't feel the need to punish, to get even, to avenge himself in any way before he offers forgiveness. I mentioned earlier that Joseph's in the position, he has the authority to literally do anything he wants to them. He could, put up, he could have them put to death if he wanted to. He could get even. He could say, well, you know, by my calculation, guys, I've been here like 22 years. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in prison for 22 years. We're going to kind of even the score a little bit. After 22 years, then I'll, then I'll let you go and we'll, we'll be all even. No, he doesn't, he doesn't try to avenge himself or get even or try to punish them. He simply forgives them. This is one of the sort of big reasons why I'm convinced we don't forgive sometimes. It's because we feel like we have to um, get justice before we can forgive. We feel like the other people have to get what they have coming before we can forgive them. When you refuse to forgive, essentially what you're doing is you're refusing to trust God with justice, right? You're feeling like, I have to in some way be the judge. I have to sort of balance the scales here because I don't fully trust that God's going to balance the scales, so I need to balance the scales a little bit. And so this is why unforgiveness is such a huge weight for us to carry because at the end of the day, we're we're carrying the weight of justice rather than leaving it to God. We feel like I've got to be the one to, you know, make sure things work out. I got to make, I have to be the one to make sure they get what they have coming. It's always funny because with our sin, we want grace, right? But with everyone else, we want them to get what they have coming. Grace for me, justice for them. That's kind of the way we think, isn't it? Grace for me, justice for them. Joseph doesn't wait. He doesn't feel the need to punish them or get even with them or avenge himself in any way. He just forgives. I'd remind you of what the Apostle Paul says over in Romans chapter 12. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul writes these words to the church, beginning in verse 17. He says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, 
Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church, is very clear. Like, revenge is not for us. Vengeance is not for us. Repaying evil for evil, getting even, that's not for us. Like, we're to be people who walk in forgiveness. And listen, people that have hurt you, wounded you, wronged you, sinned against you, they're not getting away with anything. They're not. They're not getting away with anything. And so I think when we come to terms with that, much like Joseph, we don't, we don't feel the need to, to punish or get even or avenge ourselves before we extend grace and forgiveness. The fourth thing that I notice Joseph doesn't do is Joseph doesn't, he doesn't partially forgive while still holding a grudge, Right? He doesn't sort of kind of forgive. We do this so, so often, do we not? Right? I, I forgive. We say, I forgive you, but man, I'm not going to, I'm not going to remember. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of hold it over your head. I'm going to still hold a little bit of a grudge. I'm going to forgive you, but I'm going to wish really bad things for you. Right? I'm going to still hope you fail. I hope, I hope nothing goes well in your life, but oh, I forgive you. Uh, no, you don't. Right? Like, this is what we do. We, we, we sort of partially forgive. We quasi forgive, right? But we really hope, uh, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily want the best for them. Joseph doesn't partially forgive. He doesn't still hold a grudge. Look at verses 10 and 11. After he forgives them, here's what he says. He says, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen. Goshen was this unbelievably perfect, fertile land. The, these guys were shepherds. Um, and that's all they knew was, was being shepherds. So they needed, if they're going to move down there, they needed perfect fertile land for grazing. So Joseph is going to put them in this perfect fertile land in Egypt, some of the best of, of all of Egypt. You know, dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me, your children, your children's children, your flocks, your herds, all that you have. I'm going to provide for you. Listen, Joseph fully forgives and he provides for and positions his family then for success. He's hoping for and wanting good things for his family, good things for his brothers. You don't do that if you're still holding a grudge, right? Joseph's forgiveness is complete. It is total. It's, it's this beautiful picture of, I forgive you and now I hope things go great for you. I hope you succeed. I hope you do well. I hope you are blessed because I completely and totally forgive you. That's what forgiveness looks like. It's a good, a good way for you to ask yourself, have I truly forgiven someone that's wounded me? Have, have I truly forgiven them is to go, do you, do you want the best for them now? Or do you still hope they secretly fail? Do you hope secretly things go bad for them? Hmm? Joseph, man, he doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't hold back because he is literally positioning his brothers for success in every way. He doesn't partially forgive while still holding a grudge. So those are four things that I notice Joseph doesn't do. And I think that we can learn a lot from Joseph's forgiveness there. Every time I preach on forgiveness, I always get an email, a question, someone want to come talk with me, meet with me, because they'll, you know, something maybe terrible has happened to them. um, And they'll just kind of be struggling with this whole idea of forgiving someone. And I get it. I get it. It's not an easy thing. It's easy to talk about. It's much harder to walk in and much harder to actually do. So, so how do we sort of find it within ourselves 
to forgive someone else. There's always two things that I want to mention in regards to how we can practice forgiveness, right? Number one is uh, something that Joseph does here, and that is this, to remember God's sovereignty, to remember the, the, the bigger, God's bigger purpose, God's bigger plan, okay? Joseph does this repeatedly in the text. When he forgives his brothers, look at um, verse 5, verse 7, and verse 8. Verse 5, he says this, don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me here to preserve life. Down in verse 7, he says it again. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to keep alive for you many survivors. Look at verse 8, how it starts. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph is absolutely convinced of God's sovereignty. He's absolutely convinced of the bigger picture. Repeatedly, he mentions it. Like God's got a bigger plan. God's got a bigger purpose in mind. And here's the thing. Some people will have a real big problem with these verses or they'll have a real problem with this whole idea because they don't fully understand God's sovereignty. So I'll hear people say stuff like this. Well, you know, doesn't this then make God the author of evil? I mean, if God, if God used sin and sinful men um, and, and what they did, if God sort of orchestrated that, if God sort of made them do this to get Joseph to Egypt, doesn't that in some way make God the author of evil and all the bad stuff that happens? And again, I would say that's a failure to fully understand the sovereignty of God. Say, why does God use sin and sinful men to accomplish his purposes? Well, in part, because there's, there's not any sinless men to use, right? <laughs> I mean, there was one sinless guy. He died on a cross for the sins of everybody. Outside of that, if God's going to use us at all, he's always going to use sinful people. So God uses sinful men and their sin. And here's what else I would remind you. God doesn't force these guys to do anything. He doesn't force the brothers to do anything they didn't want to do. He doesn't make them, you know, sell Joseph into slavery. In fact, I would argue that God prevents them from doing the worst. What they were going to do, God actually stops them from doing that. They don't kill him. No, these guys, these brothers, they did what they did out of their own sinful, calloused hearts. It was their actions. It was their sin. What God does is he takes those sinful, evil actions, and he has a way of using that and turning that into his good purposes. That's what God does in our lives too. God's not the author of all the bad stuff that happens to you, but God has a way of taking what was meant for evil and using that for his good purposes and his good plan. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks when we finish up the series. Joseph's actually going to say these words to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God used for good. Man, that's the way God works in our lives. God's not the, the one that orchestrates all the bad things that happen, but God has a way of accomplishing his purposes even through those horrible things. And one of the ways you can find it in your heart to forgive other people is to remember God's bigger plan, to remember God's sovereignty, to remember that God's in complete control no matter what happens to you. God's got this, right? Joseph remembers the sovereignty of God and that allows him to be able to forgive his brothers because he knows that we just sang about it, right? Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. We don't see the bigger picture, but we can trust in God that does, right? The last thing I want to mention real quick before we're done, how can we find it in our hearts to forgive other people that have wounded us and hurt us? The second thing is this, you have to remember that you too are forgiven by God, right? If you're a Christian, 
If you've come to a place in your life where you've placed your faith in Jesus, you have been forgiven for all of your sin by God. Everything you've done, every action, every thought inside of your head has been forgiven by God. You were an enemy of God. You were rebelling against God. And Jesus forgave you, right? How do we find it in our hearts to forgive? Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Ephesians 4, verse 32, Paul writes this and he says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you, right? How do we forgive people that have hurt us, wounded us deeply? Well, we remember that Jesus forgave us. Jesus forgave me. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I didn't ask for an apology. Jesus just forgave me. He didn't feel the need to, you know, get even and settle the score first. He just forgave me. I would say it this way, that when you, as a Christian, refuse to forgive, you are refusing to extend to someone else what has been extended to you, right? When you, as a Christian, refuse to offer forgiveness and extend grace, you are refusing to offer and extend to someone else that which has already been extended to you, making unforgiveness very hypocritical on your part, right? We become the biggest hypocrites on the planet when we refuse to forgive people. We just do. Because Jesus forgave us, right? And again, it goes back to this idea that we're like, I want forgiveness and grace for me. I want everybody else to get what they have coming, right? But that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. I wish I had time to really unpack some other things. You know, again, I know that, I know that we all at times are going to struggle with forgiveness, and I would remind you, like, forgiveness does not mean that you're condoning any behavior. You're not, you're not putting your stamp of approval on what they did or in any way condoning. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness doesn't mean they're getting away with something. It doesn't mean you're letting them go. No, forgiveness is, is not that. Forgiveness doesn't automatically mean, you know, fully trust again, you know. Trust has to be rebuilt over time. There's, uh, it doesn't mean you automatically just fully just jump back in and trust. Sometimes that has to be rebuilt. And it takes some time for some of those things. Forgiveness doesn't always lead to reconciliation. In Joseph's story, it's a beautiful story because it's forgiveness that leads to reconciliation. And I would say that most of the time, when you offer real forgiveness, it often does lead or can lead to reconciliation, but not always because forgiveness takes one person. You don't need their approval to forgive them. You can always forgive somebody. Reconciliation takes two, right? Reconciliation means that, you know, they receive the forgiveness. Maybe they ask for, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, two, a two-way street there, but forgiveness is, is, is you doing what you can do to forgive. And so, again, there's a lot of things forgiveness doesn't mean, but I think we can learn a lot from Joseph, right? Joseph was, was wronged. His brothers wanted to kill him. They sell him into slavery. They think they've gotten rid of him, and all of a sudden, he's there, powerful man in Egypt, and they don't, you know, they don't ask for it. They don't apologize. He doesn't kind of forgive or partly forgive. He doesn't try to get even. Joseph just forgives them, and he positions them then for success. He wants good things for them, and I think if we're going to find it in our hearts to forgive the people around us, we've got to remember the sovereignty of God. We've got to remember that God's in control. We've got to remember that we too are forgiven that we extend to others that which has been extended to us. Let's pray.
Father, we're so grateful for this beautiful, beautiful picture of forgiveness and reconciliation that we find here in your word. I think there's so much for all of us to learn from it. Because the truth is, God, we're all sinners, every one of us. Every one of us have sinned against other people, and every one of us have been sinned against by other people. So, Father, I pray we'd remember that there really, when it comes to forgiveness, there's, there's, just, there's a fork in the road. And I know there's some people probably here today, right now, in this service that are at that fork in the road. And they're either going to go one way, and there's going to be forgiveness, possibly reconciliation and grace, or they're going to go the other road, which is just anger and bitterness that's going to well up inside of them. Father, I pray, I pray that as we seek to forgive, we would remember that you're in control. As Joseph did, we'd remember your sovereignty, your bigger purpose, your bigger plan. We're grateful, God, that you take those wounds and those hurts, God, and you have a way of working them out for your good purposes. I pray, Father, that we would be people that remember that you forgave us. We remember your sacrifice for us and that we would extend to others that which has been extended to us. Help us to be people that walk in forgiveness and grace because that's what you ask of us. And pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.